Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Al die beste van die nieuwe jaar. I do need healing, Ziggy, truly, from uh, to be able to speak this language better. Uh, it's really good to be here with you this morning. Um, I know that many of us have been traveling and uh, are back. Uh, Dan and I just got back from camping yesterday, and it was fantastic. We, we celebrated New Year's. Uh, we had a, a family next to us on, on the camping trip uh, who came all the way from Canada uh, to, to camp in Namibia in the middle of the desert. Uh, to celebrate New Year's. It was a very calm celebration. They, were, they behaved. We did too, by the way. We behaved. Uh, it was, a, uh, it was a, just a beautiful, beautiful way to bring in the New Year. We've, we've been talking about um, the birth of Jesus Christ. You remember Christmas was just a few weeks ago? And uh, we've been, if you've been part of our church these last couple of Sundays, and by the way, we would like to give you a, a, some kind of an award for coming every Sunday and over the holidays, but um, um, they, the award didn't show up either, uh, so no award for you. Uh, but, <laughs> but congratulations if you were here every Sunday, all right? Talk to me afterwards and I'll have coffee with you. I'd like to celebrate that moment with you. But we've been talking about the names of Jesus and we've been talking about his birth and what, what all that means and the impact of our lives and uh, that the, the reason for his birth moves us to a point of salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. That whole point was to come and re- Jesus came to redeem mankind. And we move in as we start this new year. I want us to move in to think through how this started in Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus was born, of course, and uh, we believe uh, scripturally that he was fully human. Uh, we also believe fully God. But in that full humanity, is being uh, raised as a child, a baby and then a, uh, an infant. And uh, we, we see that uh, Jesus is born and then we, it moves, the Bible moves us into the next story is Jesus as a 12-year-old. And Jesus as a 12-year-old goes to a festival with his parents in Jerusalem. Their hometown was Nazareth, by the way. So they go off to Jerusalem for this festival and at this festival, they have a great time and, um, you know, the very calm, no big deal in terms of worrying where your kids were. It was one of those moments of history that uh, maybe you experienced uh, where you just, your kids were safe and they played in the neighborhood and that's the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. Unfortunately, that's not the case today in many neighborhoods that we live in, but this was the case then. So Jesus is hanging out with his friends, so much so, and parents not worried at all that when they started moving from Jerusalem back to Nazareth, um, they just assumed that Jesus was with the friends. They didn't see him in their, with their family traveling, but they just assumed they were with the rest of their friends and family. It wasn't until they got home to realize that Jesus actually was not with them. And so three days later, they get back to Jerusalem and find Jesus sitting in the synagogue, talking to the leaders and asking them questions and learning from them. And they said, where, you've, you've worried us to death. Where have you been? He said, surely you knew that where I would be here in my father's house. The Bible tells us that this particular moment um, wasn't frustrating to his mother. Matter of fact, Mary said she treasured these things in her heart. 
just that Jesus is about her father's business. The Bible tells us in, uh, in, in the Bible that, that Jesus uh, actually obeyed his parents and grew in wisdom and stature and favor with all people. So he was an obedient child. He was a, uh, one that uh, was popular. He was well-known. He was liked. And uh, probably he continued to uh, go to the temple and to the synagogue and, and engage in conversations with leaders there and learn from them and, and teach. By, by the time he's 30 years old, when his ministry launches, uh, he's a very popular teacher. And uh, he was always welcome, no matter whatever synagogue he walked into, he was handed scripture to read. He was part of the process of, of worship in, in a very much of a Jewish history and, and culture. And he was well known and liked. People loved to listen to him speak. But there was a point in Jesus' ministry where he... He laid down the gauntlet. He said, okay, now I'm, now I'm starting. Now I'm starting ministry. He's baptized, and then he's sent out to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. He's tempted by Satan. When he returns, uh, the Bible tells us that he's full of the Holy Spirit. Teaches in the synagogues, and then he goes to his hometown, Nazareth to start this moment. It was, it was at this synagogue that he decides to tell them who he is. You have to wonder, you wonder if possibly up to that point he had not actually shared that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. Because at this point in Nazareth, goes to the synagogue, they hand him a scroll, knowing him as this popular teacher, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read, and he opens up to the scroll, uh, and he reads this. I've, I have it on the screen for you, I think. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And this is, the, this is a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. It says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the tenant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So something new has happened here. Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God. The Spirit of God is on me. I'm the answer to your problems. I am the Messiah. Their response was, hey, isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> we, we know Joseph. We know Jesus. You, you grew up here. Aren't you Joseph's son? Jesus responded and said, Shh, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. And he, and he tells, makes references to, to two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and says that, you know, those two actually were not able to work in Israel, that the miracles we see in the Old Testament about those two prophets are related primarily to foreigners. That's what he says to the people that he's talking to in the synagogue. He says, that no wonder that these two prophets couldn't do any miracles with Israel. They can only do it with foreigners. This really irritated those leaders. The, the ones who thought he was fantastic prior to him claiming to be the Messiah. 
and they actually run him out of the synagogue to the edge of a cliff to push him over the cliff. Now, that's a severe reaction. We're told that scripture, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus walks between them and away from harm's way. That's how his ministry begins, with a showdown. And make no mistake, the whole ministry of Jesus continued to be a showdown. It, it never stopped being a showdown. Of him saying, I'm the Messiah, I've come to help you, I've come to free you, I've come to save you. And them having difficulty with his message and his claims. I think maybe we can understand if it was our family claiming to be God, if it was our family uh, claiming to be our salvation and our hope, we might worry about who they were and what they've been drinking. You can kind of understand where those who from his hometown were coming from, possibly. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Whether we accept it or not, the fact is it's true. And, and this, is, this is the statement, this is the line in the sand that Jesus draws and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look at John 14, 6. If it's not clear, later in his ministry, he, he lays this down so clearly. If you wonder what I meant when I quoted Isaiah, here it is, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so he lays down this exclusivity of only him, Jesus and only Jesus, as being the way, the truth, and the way to live life. I want you to know this morning, all of us, to understand that as you consider all the different ways that we could actually live eternally in the presence of God, that only Christ is the way to the Father. This is the claim of Jesus. And I, we know that even today that this claim of Jesus is irritating to many. For, for many, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ is offensive to a lot of people. Not understanding that Jesus came to bring life, not exclusivity, but to bring life, to bring hope, to change lives. Christ and only Christ offers us still today, the living Jesus offers us this salvation. But we have to humble ourselves and accept his claim about himself, that he's not a prophet, but he is the son of God and the only way to the Father. I think Happy New Year is possible if we are willing to, 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 to claim this truth, to humble ourselves before him and to understand that we are lost and that we desperately need Christ and his salvation. Jesus came specifically to help the helpless and specifically to help those who know they are helpless, the ones who realize that they could not help themselves. The helplessness is true until we see Jesus face to face, by the way. This helplessness that we have is with us until we see Christ face to face. One popular author and theologian wrote a book entitled Future Grace. The premise of the book is that the grace that we have received at salvation is available to us throughout our walk with Jesus Christ. The grace of God is available to us from the moment of salvation to the moment that we see him face to face. The whole point of salvation is that we wouldn't just be saved today, but that we would be brought to Christ and, and be able to, to live with Christ eternally. It's, it's this plan for eternity, not a plan for just one day or for your moment of conversion. I want to say to you this morning that it's not only is it not only is grace available 
from now until we see him face to face. It is needed. We need his grace and his salvation to the point that we see him face to face. We cannot live without him. If we have any confusion about that, John 15 says, without him we can do nothing. And that's going to be true. That's going to be true until we see him. But we can do everything with him, right? With him, anything is possible. But Christ is the way, the exclusive way. But we have to humble ourselves to that reality. Christmas hopefully has led us to the point of realizing that not only is he the baby Jesus, but he is the Savior. And the one that we submit to, he becomes Lord. We need to do the same thing that his mother did in the upper room. When, he, when she realized, wait a minute, this is not just my son, he is Lord. And she humbled himself. She humbled herself and followed him. We see her in the upper room at the point of the, the Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. It's the kind of humility that we need is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Jesus saves those who realize they're sinners. And he, he chased after sinners with this urgency to, to find those people. That's how his ministry started and continued. Maybe just three years, we think. It was a short ministry in relative terms. But Jesus starts with this urgency to find people who know they're sinners and to save them. And, and, and his ministry is weighted heavily on those who are lost and finding lost people over taking care of the saved. It's this incredible urgency to win that generation, to, to catch those people. And so he started fellowshipping with sinners. He started hanging out with sinners. Ministry begins in the synagogue, but then continues walking the streets, walking on the seashore and calling people out of sinful practices and behavior and, and asking them to follow him, just as he does today. Invites us out of our lives and says, follow me. This is still true today. Jesus targeted, he came to save sinners, not the self-righteous, but people who realize, no, we need him. Jesus' priority. Jesus had this weighted emphasis on the lost. His methodology was to hang out with lost people. He very often would go and just eat with them and sit down. And for this, he was judged by the religious leaders of the day because he hung out with sinners. What sinners have we been hanging out with lately? Jesus wants us to also live and hang out with those who do not know him in order to draw them and to invite them into fellowship with him. Mark 2, I love this passage. Mark 2 is the story of him calling uh, Matthew, uh, Levi, also known as Levi, to be one of his apostles. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, is sitting in a tax collector's booth, and you know tax collectors were despised. And he says, follow me, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. New Living Translation calls them disreputable sinners. They weren't just sinners. <laughs> they were sinners with a bad reputation. All right? There are those sinners, you know, who don't have a bad reputation, but they sin, sort of closet sinners. Then you have the sinners who are the ones who are well known for their sin. You know these people? That guy's a bad guy and everyone knows it. Those kind of people. That's who he's hanging out with. 
And the Pharisees, the Bible tells us in Mark 2, verse 16, that the Pharisees are sitting back watching him eat with tax collectors and sinners. And they ask this question, why does he eat with scum like that? Wow. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus focused urgently on sinners and the lost. He does so today as well. Luke 19.10, we see this all through Scripture. We see this Jesus looking for sinners. When he's with um, Zacchaeus, who he called out down from a tree, the, the bag tax collector, what does he do? He goes and eats with him, right? And when he's questioned by the Pharisees, Luke 19.10 says this. He says, don't you know I came to seek and to save those who were lost? That's my goal. That's my purpose here. I've come to find those people. This is the heart of God, to call sinners. Jesus continues this call to us. When asked by those who trusted in him to stay longer, usually when he's actually, when someone has come to faith and they want him to hang out with them longer, he said to them over and over, we see this in scripture, that he moved on to find more lost people. When the, the, the possessed man who is full of demons is, is totally healed and, and changed, the, demon, uh, the, the, the formerly possessed crazy guy wants to hang out with Jesus. Jesus says, no, don't hang out with me. Go and share the gospel with uh, your family and friends. Tell them what I've done for you. And he goes. He goes to at least 10 cities we know of, and he, he shares the gospel of what Jesus Christ had done in his life. Jesus focuses on the lost and those who know they need him. Do we know we need him this morning? Are we aware that we need him? We will continue to need him until we die. We desperately need Jesus at every point of our lives. We're invited this new year to humble ourselves before him and realize that we need him. I think about uh, my daughter when I think about Jesus. Uh, I don't know if my daughter even knows that. When I think about her, I'm thinking about Jesus too. I need to tell her that. Uh, but my daughter started hanging out with a young lady who had, he was one of those disreputable sinners, you know, one of those sinners that everyone knew was a bad person. And she intentionally started hanging out with this young lady so that she could share Christ with her. And she actually really enjoyed her. We started getting comments from concerned parents who said, do you realize who your daughter's hanging out with? To which my sweet wife responded to them. She said, where would you like for this difficult girl to hang out? Who would you like for her to be with? Is it possible that maybe our daughter could influence her more than she can influence our daughter? The answer to that question is yes. That's exactly what happened. But Jesus invites us to be with people who are lost so that they can find Jesus and, and be transformed by him. That's why a friend of mine recently went to a, a, a drag party so he could be a witness. He didn't dress drag himself, but he went to the party and hung out with people who are reputably sinners. Revelations chapter 3, verse 17 through 20 says this, You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
So I advise you to buy gold from me. This is Jesus speaking. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you'll be able to see. Jesus says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. And then on the screen, Revelation 3.20, look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. The invitation, Jesus knocks and says, please, if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with you. That's the call of Jesus and his methodology is to, to walk intimately, closely with those who are lost so as to transform them, to heal them, to make them be able to see to release them from captivity, to release them from oppression. Spiritual freedom is what Jesus offers to us. And we cannot receive this freedom from any other source. Christ only. The exclusivity of Him. The writers of the New Testament, that portion of the Bible we call the New Testament, it's, it's towards the later part and, and and emphasizes and focuses primarily on the life of Jesus and those who follow Jesus. This is what the New Testament is about. Sort of begins with the birth of Jesus and then moves into his life and then talks about those who follow Jesus. That's really the New Testament. It's this perspective of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament portion of the Bible tells stories about Jesus' ministry that highlight his love for the lost and his determination to save them regardless of the opposition he received in trying to save them. The New Testament is full of these stories, and these stories have been very specifically placed to help us understand this unique character of Jesus who, who operated in his ministry with this urgency for lost people, pursuing lost people. We see a story in John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery. You've probably all heard this story, right? where the leaders of the day bring this woman who is actually in the act of committing adultery, all right? To put that in terms that we can understand, they found a woman who was engaging in sex at that moment and took her out and brought her to Jesus and said, how about this woman? Interesting little note here is that the man who was part of this activity was not brought to Jesus. This woman is brought in the act of adultery and says, Law of Moses says we need to stone her. What do you say? When they were saying we need to stone her, they weren't saying throwing little pebbles at her. They were saying let's put her in a pit and drop boulders on her. That's what stoning was all about. It would kill someone. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Because Jesus has already been saying, listen, I came to seek and to save sinners. That's what I'm about. Every time they would oppose him and say, why are you eating with these people or why are you hanging out with sinners? He would say, hey, don't you know, this is why I came was for sinners. And I almost think that possibly these Jewish leaders of the day were saying, look, you like sinners? Here's one. What are you going to do with this one? Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but I just can only imagine. Let's try to find the most extreme case of sinners and let's bring them to Jesus and see what he does. That's what they did, right? He starts writing in the sand. And then he stands up and he says, those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they left. And then Jesus stands up again. Huh. John 8, he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I 
go and sin no more. This morning, if we can try to create in our minds, try to imagine what sinner would be too extreme, too, too horrible, too, too bizarre, <laughs> too odd, that Jesus could not transform. We might even look at our own lives and we could think, okay, so there's a certain level of sin in my life that's just too great, too extreme, that Jesus cannot touch. But be assured that Jesus came for that and for you. There is no sinner so extreme, so bizarre, so out there that Jesus did not come for. This is the good news, right? It's the call for sinners, not the self-righteous. He comes for sinners. These stories continue in Scripture, right? Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, which is followed by the story of the lost coin, which is followed by the story of the prodigal son. We know this story, Luke 15. Again, Luke 15, verse 1. I wanted you to see this. This is what it says. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that cool? Just a little caveat here, just a thought. What if we set up New Song Family Church to where notorious sinners enjoyed coming and listening to what was happening here? Wouldn't that be cool? We, we had a man come visit us one Sunday morning that was wearing a dress. That was a lot of fun. It wasn't received by everyone. But I was real proud of New Song Family Church. New Song Family Church just rolled with it. I, I don't know what it is that would be too far off for New Song Family Church. That would be too bizarre. But Jesus says sinners are welcome. He's looking for. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Oh, perish the thought. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's this weighted emphasis on the lost in, in the heart and ministry of Jesus. The story is followed by the lost coin who the woman sweeps the house and turns everything upside down until she finds this coin. That's what we do whenever we go camping this last couple of days. Um, Dan and I were always looking for things. In between sitting down and enjoying nature, we were always looking for something. Dan, where did you put the butter? I think I put it in the fridge. Oh, no, maybe I put it in the white chest. I couldn't find the wire to my headlamp at one point to recharge it. I spent about 30 minutes looking for that wire to recharge my headlamp. And I kept thinking to myself, that's why I come camping, to look for things. But everything's set aside until you find that one little thing you're looking for. Right? At one point, I thought I lost my keys. I stopped everything, looked for my keys. We had a great time, by the way. It wasn't stressful, really. It was wonderful. 
But when things are lost, we put a priority on those things that are lost. If you're sitting around having a braai with friends and family and a group of people, and all of a sudden there's a child goes missing, what do, you, what do you do? Maybe this has happened to you. You stop everything, right? Allow the voice to burn and go find that child. There's, a, there's an importance and an urgency that when people are lost, they need to be found. They become the most important focus of our lives because they truly are lost. They're not okay. And we put other things aside in order to find that. This is the heart of Jesus. Jesus saying not one generation needs to be lost. And in these three years that I have, I'm going to spend my time looking for lost people. Every generation of humanity needs this urgency placed on them to be saved. Our strategies as, as believers need to be designed to reach each and every generation. That's why there is an urgency. We should not be content that we can reach just one person here. That's not enough. It's not going to cut it. What will it take to reach Ventuk in the next five to ten years? I want to ask you that question. What is it going to take to reach this city in the next five to ten years so we can catch a generation? Right now, we're on the 100 to 150-year plan. And that plan is going to help us connect with some people, but not nearly connect with the number of people who need to be connected in this city so that they can discover the good news of Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ that only Christ saves. Jesus came to save sinners. And Jesus invites us not only to, to be saved by him, but also to be these messengers with the same urgency for the lost. There are many out there who know they are sinners and who just need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And you bear this good news. Look, we've had a year and a half of, of tough, right? But Jesus is still the Savior of the world. And that's where we need to fix our urgency. Okay, so you might die. What are you going to do before you die? What is your plan before you die? What is our plan? To win as many as possible, right? I think God invites us to have this same urgency and character of Christ to reach a lost world. Our current plan is not going to cut it. We need to have strategies that can reach the city in a shorter amount of time. The New Testament writers continue to tell the stories. They talk about these two men who came into uh, the synagogue to pray. Luke 18, verses 19 through 13. Jesus told his story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Tax collectors were referenced a whole lot in the New Testament as disreputable sinners. Here it is again. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. 
I tell you this, sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Story is, don't be like the Pharisee, right? Be like the tax collector who knew he was a tax collector. One of the most horrific places to be in life is that you, not knowing you're a sinner, to actually think you're better than others, that somehow you don't need a Savior, that somehow you get past go, that somehow this Jesus who changes lives is not actually for you because you are a good person. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. All have sinned. Look, the Pharisee only needed to pray once. He's praying twice. He's giving much more offering than he should. All, all this. Or as one theologian said, that the, the Pharisee was actually not praying to God. He was praying to himself. And how often we worship ourselves and how often we pray to ourselves instead of God. Almighty self in whom is all my trust. And this is the society that we live in today is people who actually worship and think more of themselves than they do of God. And they advance and brand and, and push themselves and their branding much more than God. This is where we live right now. It was, this man praying was more like a monologue than a prayer, right? Like the guy who prayed, and it was said of him that he was the greatest, it was the greatest prayer ever offered to a church audience. Jesus invites us to humble ourselves before him, call out to him in humility, realizing we're sinners no matter how good we think we are. And humble ourselves before him saying, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. And then allow God to change us and transform us. This offer is for us, even after the point of conversion, where we continue to walk with him, dependent on him. That grace that's available, that future grace is available to us, but also needed. To where we continue to have this position of humility before him. I invite you this year to walk in that level of humility before Jesus understanding that you can do nothing without him. We can do nothing without him. And that everyone that is around us in this city can do nothing without him. And that there is no other name by which man can be saved except for Jesus Christ. Can we humble ourselves to that truth? Can we humble ourselves to realize we need him? The fact is, is that only Jesus has the power to put us right before God. That's it. Paul who was blown off his, just knocked down by Jesus in his, at his point of conversion and is transformed by him, becomes this amazing missionary. This is what he writes in Romans chapter 3. This is what he says. Romans 3.22. We are made, and, and please hear every word of this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Couldn't be simpler, right? And this is true for who? If y'all don't mind just hollering that out, you sang a joy song, please. If y'all just one, yeah. And this is true for everyone. Uh, let's try it again. And this is true for everyone. who believes, no matter who we are. Wow, that's good news, right? For everyone has sinned. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Now, Romans 3 is much longer than just this verse I've put up here. But Paul continues to explain that the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection was key to us having life today. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born, yes, but he was raised up to become a savior. And Jesus spent his life in ministry looking for people who knew they were sinners. Jesus has the power, and only Jesus has the power to transform us. Will we humble ourselves before him? Will we say, yes, I embrace not only salvation, but also the mission of Jesus Christ to a lost world? That's the invitation of Jesus. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that? Do I know that? Do I understand that regardless of my history, my past, my education, that, that I desperately need Jesus? And, and in that regard, I am no different than any other person that I'm ever standing around in any given situation. And can I still with humility cry out to God and say, Lord, please, please, I'm a sinner. Please save me and receive the, the gift that can only come from God. Jesus invites us to, to come with him with his humility, to acknowledge what is already true, that we are lost without him, and to humble ourselves before him. That's the invitation of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for, for grace that was sufficient. Lord, thank you for the grace that's available now and in the future. And Lord, thank you for the grace that we still need Lord Jesus, help us to really, truly understand that we can do nothing without you. But Lord, we can do everything with you. Lord, we, we praise you today. We thank you. Lord, we say, Lord, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. Yes, Lord, we say thank you this morning. Lord, we praise you for loving us enough to humble yourself to become a man. Lord, to live and then to die in a cruel, cruel way so that we could, Lord, be united with you, to have a relationship with you. Father, we praise you for this great salvation. Lord, may we not be like the, the Pharisee who said we have done everything correct, but be like the tax collector who knows he's a sinner. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.